everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Dr. Jacqueline Phillips and Dr. Fiona McBride. Jacqueline is a professor in neuroscience at the Department of Biomedical Sciences within the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at Macquarie University. Fiona is a research fellow in the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences at the University of Auckland. They are here to discuss telemetry measurements in rat models of cardiovascular integrative physiology and neurophysiological research. Let's jump in. Jackie, a question for you. Do you think the response you detected in the LPK rat model is specific to your model of CKD, or would you expect the same response in another CKD model, for example, the 5 sixth nephrectomy model? Yeah, no, look, that's a really good question. Without actually doing the experiments in a different model of CKD, you can't state absolutely. But certainly the typical behaviour of nerve activity in studies in humans with kidney disease, where they look at all sorts of types of kidney disease that result in chronic hypertension, show similar increases in muscle sympathetic nerve activity, similar changes in autonomic reflexes. And in terms of the renal denervation studies, there's been no uh, factors that differentiate different types of CKD. So I think we will see similar changes in other models because what you're looking at is a condition where the sensory signals from the kidney, which are associated with hypoxia, poor tissue perfusion, renal ischemia, and the buildup of the nephrotoxins are likely stimulating centrally a lot of the changes in outflow. So yes, I anticipate we'd see very similar changes. Okay, great. Excellent answer. Just have to sort through all these questions. For Fiona, does it matter where the intracranial pressure sensor is placed in the brain in relation to the pressures uh, recorded? Uh, no, that's a good question. Uh, there's been many studies which have looked at measuring uh, pressure at various points around the brain or within the ventricles, and it seems that the, the pressure within the skull is the same uh, no matter where you measure it. So my advice would be to, the simplest and least invasive approach is to just pop it under the skull subdurally and be confident that it's giving you sort of pressure experienced by the whole brain. Okay, perfect. And also with regards to the oxygen electrode, when inserting the oxygen electrode in the brain, does it result in any damage and scar tissue formation over time? And I guess, consequently, will it affect the value of the oxygen concentration that you're recording? Yeah, that, that's an important point to consider, especially for your experimental design. As with all physiological experiments, it's important to include a control group to, to allow for that. But as a general comment, the, with careful placement under stereotactics, you're not minimally disrupting the brain tissue as you insert the electrode, which is itself very fine. I think, yeah, you're doing... Of course, you're doing some damage, but I think it's very minimal. And the, the signals themselves seem to be stable for long periods of time. If you get them secured nicely to the skull, there's no movements or anything which, which could affect the signals. So I think, yeah, they're pretty robust. Okay, perfect. Fiona, I think this is uh, for you as well. You had shown some data during your presentation, and uh, Noah mentions that uh, it looks like uh, there's a time lag for the change in tissue oxygen, which was about five minutes approximately, yeah. from the time of exposure to hyperoxic hypercapnia. And the question is, does that reflect what is happening in the tissue? Yeah, that's a good question. It could be a feature of the way in which we deliver 
the hypercapnia. So to do that, we, we put the, the rats in a, in, a, in a box and we have to switch them from breathing room air to, to breathing the hypercapnic gas mix. And it, you know, you, you don't want to throw the gas in there at 100 miles an hour. So, so I think it takes time for the actual air that the animal's breathing to change, which would slow that rate down. I also think it's possible that there is a little bit of a time lag between what the animal's breathing in, because that, that different gas mix has to get filtered into the bloods and reach the brain. And then we're not measuring arterial oxygen, we're measuring tissue oxygen. So I think it all takes just that little bit longer to, to filter through to the point of measurement. But certainly, I, in my experience with the oxygen electrodes, I wouldn't expect them to have a really fast dynamic response. So even on the bench, they do take a minute to come up to a step change in oxygen on the bench. So you're more looking at a, yeah, a, a sort of smooth change, I guess. Okay. Hopefully that answers Noah's question. Thank you very much. The Another question here, I guess starting with you, Jackie, and you know Sandy or Fiona, you can chime in as well. Vladimir asks, is it possible to measure the activity of other nerves other than the renal sympathetic nerve? Yes, absolutely. So there's been a paper published in the name of the group, just slips my mind, where they looked at, uh, I think it was splanchnic nerve activity. And certainly the approach will be different for the implantation, but the technique and the procedure should be equally applicable, particularly to some of these abdominal located nerves or retroperitoneal nerves that you can access that will um, enable that recording. And certainly that's something we want to do because that means you get a look at these other sympathetic nerve outflows. So yes, there's been a study done and it's something that I can't see there'd be any difficulties associated with other than the, the implantation. Okay. I can comment briefly. I've, I've published uh, a paper a few years ago recording lumbar sympathetic nerve activity. There's a few different considerations with different nerves. Um, the lumbar one, you're a lot closer to the, the back muscles. Um, so it was much more, it was very difficult to avoid getting some movement artifacts. We had to be very aware when we looked at the data to, to try and get it from periods when the animal was quiet, etc. I think there's a, a group in Japan has recently published a study where they've done renal and lumbar simultaneously. Fantastic. So there's definitely yes, possibilities out there. Yeah, so I've got a little bit to chime in as well. Um, you kind of really just got to consider the accessibility to your nerve of interest. And the other thing is that limiters are designed with a input range of plus or from minus 60 microvolts to plus 60 microvolts. So it may not be suitable for all nerves. So for example, the vagus nerves, it may not actually be suitable for that uh, because it might fall outside the range of SNA inputs. Perfect. Thank you all for your, your answers there. And the questions keep on coming in sort of fast and furious. I'll try my best to sift through these as they come in. And just a reminder, if we don't get to your question during the session, we will be sure to answer it after the fact. Jackie, this is directed uh, to you, and again, Fiona and Sandy, if you have some input, please provide it. But um, William asks, how long can you keep a stable SNA signal for, and how long do you have to wait until getting a stable SNA baseline? Hopefully that makes sense. 
Yes, it does. Yes. So I'll answer the first part first, (laughs) the second part first. With regards to getting the stable SNA baseline, we, because of the issues of recovering from surgery and wanting to get a re-established circadian rhythms, we didn't really look at our data too closely before one week. But having said that, in the animals, once we've recovered them and taken them back to our animal house and put them on the receiver, we do see lovely baseline sympathetic nerve activity. How useful it is in terms of assessing the status of the animal is another question, but certainly once that sort of first 24-hour period is over, we do get nice recordings. Fiona might be able to comment on that more. With regards to the long-term recordings, we have, as I showed you, we're able to take out to six weeks post-implantation. The issue is that we, if we lost either the nerve activity or the blood pressure activity, we then terminated those animals because we needed both at the the finalisation of the experiment. In terms of those animals that did go out to six weeks, I said it was about 30 to 40%. And the recordings we got at six weeks were looked fantastic. It's just getting out to that point. So we haven't done enough yet there to give a good answer, but certainly I think it is possible. Fiona, okay. what would you say? Yeah, I think just the just caveat is that, I mean, these are really difficult recordings to make. If you're coming in with no surgical experience, I think you should set your expectations low and plan maybe some anaesthetized or some very short studies to begin with and build up. I don't think, I think there'd be very few people that could jump in and plan to do a, a four-month nerve recording as Jackie's hoping to do. I think you just want to yeah, be sensible about it and build up the skills and, and expertise to, to be able to produce these type of recordings. There's, there's no magic trick, it's just careful, um, very precise surgery. Okay, perfect. All right. Velu asks, let's see here, the... Uh, amplitude of nerve activity is dependent on electrode placement. That's a statement he's making. So the question is, how can one compare the activity from one animal to another? I can jump in there initially. That is a continual source of debate. So we get that same question arising with our acute experiments as well. And all I can say is that consistently we see in our animals an increased level of that baseline activity with the nerve recording at the microvolt level. The placement of the electrode, the contact, all those things do make a difference. And so that's why I think you do need to have those other types of verification studies. So in our case, we can look at looking at one animal over time. And also you can look at your percentage chain response to reflex stimuli to see if you can get another handle on what that autonomic nervous system is doing. But look, it's a good question. And it's one that I think will be continued to be debated for a long time. Yeah, I just add, if if at all possible, if you can design a within animal study, Obviously, Jackie's unable to because of the, the duration of their model, but if you can design a with animal study, a change for baseline with a control group, you've got a lot more power to, to look at these effects. Even if you have to normalise the baseline, you can look at the change from baseline. Okay, perfect. Jackie, with respect to the SNA sensor, can you talk a little bit more about sort of how and where you attached the sensing element? In terms of the placement of the electrode on the renal nerve? Yes. Yeah, the attachment is placed with the renal nerve where it is exposed via, we go through a a flank approach in the retroperitoneal space and exposed down through coming off near the um, the artery. And the higher you go tends to be the better. I don't know, Fiona, what would your comments be about placement in terms of technical tips? Just great care. (laughs) Yeah, just really like try and all of your surgical movements you want to try and keep the nerve in the same place and 
you know, just try and disrupt the nerve from its natural path as little as possible. And if you stretch or bend the nerve, that's when it's going to die um, and you'll lose your signal. So just, yeah, really good surgical microscope. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah, and we also, a lot of our, I was just going to say, a lot of um, when my PhD student Ibrahim who did these studies was training, we spent a lot of time just dissecting the nerve on post-euthanasia animals just to get a familiarity because where the nerve is, what it looks like, and that in itself takes a bit of practice. Just chiming in here, there's actually a really good techniques paper on chronic recording by uh, Stoker in 2013 titled Recording Sympathetic Nerve Activity Chronically in Rats. So it goes through surgical techniques and it's probably worth actually having a look at that paper if you're interested. It's got some really good figures as well. Okay, perfect. Um, uh, There's also a training video that Mila supplied um, us that was really good too because you actually see someone doing surgery online. Okay, and uh, Sandy, uh, we'll make sure that during the in the Q and A report that we distribute, we reference that paper that you mentioned by Stoker et al. from 2013. Uh, let's ask one more question, and um, just being respectful of every, everyone's time, there still are many more to answer. But Fiona, you had mentioned that you know there are other tissues and organs where one can use the oxygen sensor, but I guess the question is, can it be used to measure oxygen concentrations in blood? Yeah, that's, I'm glad that came up. So at the moment, it's not recommended to use the sensor in blood, so it's been validated and proven in, in tissue only. So there's been a paper published showing oxygen recordings in the kidney, for example, and you could die the organs. But I think that the problem with the bloods is that it it might disrupt or block the carbon-sensing tip, um, which is really fragile and, and sort of needs protection. So, yeah, as far as I'm aware, no one's figured out any tricks to, to make it work in, in arterial blood yet. Okay. S Sandy or Jackie, do you have any input on that? Uh, Sandy, you're probably aware of what others are doing with uh, the technology. Yeah, I don't think this is published yet, but we have had one of our customers use the tissue oxygen probe to measure oxygen concentration in the liver. So in theory, if you have a solid organ with enough space to implant the three electrodes, you should be able to get um, oxygen concentration from it. So currently, we know that it does work in brain, kidney, and from our customer in liver. But yes, as Fiona has mentioned, that there is a little bit of concern with putting the carbon paste electrode into a flowing medium, such as blood vessels or lymphatic vessels, or even an amniotic fluid, because there is concerns that it might disturb the carbon paste right at the sensing tip. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.